Hi, I'm Tom Wren. Hi, I'm Emily Stenigan. Hi, this is Jake Parkinson. Hi, this is Holly Evans. I'm Ben Hook, and in conjunction with Sport SA and the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation, this is Hooked on Sport. Hi there, and welcome to Episode 7 of Hooked on Sport, your virtual sports club. And once again, some of the most influential names in Australian sport continue to drop by our virtual studio. In Episode 6, it was Keith Bradshaw, who was the Chief Executive Officer of the South Australian Cricket Association, and he gave us some thought-provoking details on how cricket will manage what may be a very different season next summer. Court Adelaide Oval and its ability to transform rapidly from cricket ground to AFL football venue, make it a potential jewel for when elite sport returns. Make sure you backtrack to episode six to hear Keith if you haven't done so already. Our guest today is Daniel Healy, perhaps best known as a former AFL footballer with St Kilda, who played a leading role in the rise of the Central District Football Club in the South Australian National Football League 20 years ago. He was part of their first premiership in 2000, captained the team to -to back-to-back flags 12 months later, and then a three-peat of premierships in 2003, 4, and 5. He's since worked with both Port Adelaide at AFL level and North Adelaide in the Sandful, but more recently has become a director of leading teams, an organisation that facilitates programs to develop culture and performance in sports teams and businesses around Australia. Then later on in the show, we'll talk to Matt Chesterman from Golf Australia about the challenges facing golf clubs and the support mechanisms in place to see them through the current restrictions, which is leaving many clubs under significant financial stress. But it's Daniel Healy who joins me next. Hi, this is Holly Evans from the Adelaide Fire, and you're on Hooked on Sport. Daniel Healy, welcome to Hooked on Sport. Thanks, Ben. Good to be here. Daniel, uh, all I can think about is the fact that the 20-year anniversary of the 2000 Central District Premiership, how are you going to have a reunion if uh, if no one can catch up? Yeah, would it be too selfish of me to think that that was one of the biggest um, disappointments <laughs> around this whole corona thing? No, I actually thought of that the other day. We had a big 20-year and 10-year because some of them hang on, some of them they won again in 2010, so it was going to be a pretty significant one. The club were going to get pretty serious about it, so I'm not sure how that looks now, but hopefully we can still do something later on in the year. Let's be honest, and anyone who knows their Sandful footy will understand this. If you miss one, there's plenty of others to come for you blokes. <laughs> yeah, we have. Uh, when we first had the first reunion, the club made a big deal. There was people everywhere, and the second year we won it, uh, we had the reunion. No one, none of the none of the punters turned up. And we thought, <laughs> okay, well, we'll we'll just do it on our own from now on because I think they got a bit got a bit greedy and got a bit used to it all. Yeah, nine and eleven years or something. It was uh, quite the remarkable run. Uh, Daniel, you've been involved in sport all of your life. You're still involved in sporting clubs now through your role at leading teams. Can you recall anything? like this in your sporting career where things have just shut down so significantly? No, no, obviously uh, not. And I imagine there's a lot of people older and smarter and wiser than me that would struggle to remember anything in their lifetime as well. I probably, the AFL stuff and that is unprecedented and and that's significant. But I I was actually getting involved at at my local club um, back in the country at Hamley Bridge in the uh, just north of Gawler, and they've had some real troubles over the last few years. And I was really enjoying getting back, trying to get them back on track to to 
create a sustainability there for that town that I grew up in and that I loved uh, and for that sporting club. And we all know, and your listeners will know how important local and country, um, in fact, that's why, why you guys have gone with this initiative, um, how important they are to the town. And that's probably the one I'm feeling for the most. We had some really good momentum. We got some, some locals back. We got some locals bringing other players back and we got some real newfound enthusiasm around the town. And that town, like every other country town around the country right now, sits um, very dormant on weekends. And I guess I fear for what that looks like for local businesses, for mental health in in those areas for all all sorts of things. So probably that's where the mind goes, to be honest. It must be so disheartening too, because I know the amount of effort that you and a number of other stakeholders in that football club in particular went to, to try and right the train. And we knew the club was really struggling after premierships, I think three or four years ago, and then the wheels fell off for a number of reasons. It must be really disheartening for the people there. Well, yeah, and yeah, I don't know. Do you take comfort from the fact that it's out of your control and everyone else is in the same boat? And hopefully, if we just say, okay, let's press pause here and let's, you know, the the real momentum was there though. We, we there's no doubt there's some frustration there, but I guess you we encourage them and, and got a good relationship with the with the new coach there. You just focus on things you can control, and right now that's staying in contact with them, staying connected with the players, and and you know, and and hopefully. Yeah, hopefully they can get some season away. I probably don't hold a lot of hope for what that's going to look like for community sport. But, um, yeah, it's it's certainly disappointing, no doubt. How have you been able to stay connected with the players? Um, look, I one of the reasons, again, just going to the Hamley example, what, he, the coach certainly uh, has a real strength in, in a connection with he's a school teacher and gets the relationship bit how important that is and certainly from the leading team's perspective that's something we push pretty strongly so um, his ability to connect with them through lots of different means technically you know um, whatsapp etc cetera, etc cetera, um, stay in contact getting them in smaller groups um, has been really important the smaller group stuff works really well um I'm doing some work at South Adelaide this year as well, and one of the things we've done there is get them into, we call them care groups, duty of care groups, whatever you want to call them, from young to old. We would do that normally, whether you had a whether you had a club that was up and running or not, but now perhaps even more so. Um, and obviously they can't physically get together, but certainly we can, you can continue to check in on each other. So, so the idea is then that no one escapes the net and that across the group there's, there's a connection piece for every young man in this case in that footy club. We've mentioned it a couple of times, leading teams. Uh, you're a director with leading teams and you're involved not just with footy and sporting clubs, but also with businesses as well. And often I think those businesses or sporting clubs would reach out to you because they feel like they have uh, some blocks or some challenges around their culture. Is there anything you can relate across from your normal day-to-day work with leading teams into what you were perhaps dealing with and what we're all dealing with now? Yeah, uh, it, that is true. I mean, we certainly get plenty of people who just reach out because they get culture and want to get better. Often there are some real issues, but often it's just it's people who've got a pretty good thing going on and they just want to keep getting better and they want to invest in their people and their culture. So um, we always say, though, culture is tested most under pressure, uh, and that would be a pretty standard line we would use um, in working and working with clients and day one with a client. So could we get any more pressure situation than right now? I know we at Leading Teams, one of the things I love about our work is we are a team ourselves. We have a, a team of 20-odd around the country and we're tested just like the rest of the world right now so we can actually live through their own experiences. I, I think um, the, the key bits we're finding in the sessions we're running at the moment is, is, A, how are we going connecting with people and really connecting, like not just 
having a mechanical rigid structured meeting every day or every week but how are we how are people feeling how are they in their space at home you know some of us take for granted that we've got space in our home we've got a laptop we've got kids that can sit in their own there are others that have very different scenarios there so that connection piece and and really the other one which is no different than normal but it's it's heightened right now is clarity of purpose um why the hell we're here and what's our focus through this point um so our leading teams, our purpose as an organisation is to help individuals and, t- and teams improve their performance. So when people ask me what am I doing now, I'm saying, well, I'm still trying to do that. For some organisations, that's um, on a lesser scale budget. For some, it's um, it looks very different to what it did before. But we want to be a, a value partner for our clients because that's what we do. That's in our DNA and that's what we, we love doing. Um, that, that makes it easy for us to get through this scenario. And so for us, same with clients, we just challenge, what's what's your focus right now? Um, are your people clear on the purpose of why we're here and, and what we're doing about it? And probably the, the other one that we're using at the moment comes from um, Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and, it, and it's focused the, the, the circle of control, the circle of influence and the circle of concern. And when people spend a heap of their time worried about things outside of their control, they tend to be in a very negative blame uh, excuses landscape. So we try and encourage leaders, teams to get back into that circle of control because then your language is more positive, solution-focused, accountability. And we would all agree that it's it's pretty easy right now to spend hours and hours um, stressing about stuff that's outside of our control. It can be quite empowering and quite... Um, liberating to go no 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 what can I control in that and that might be that I'm going to get out and go for a walk every day to help with my mental health Um, it might be that I'm only going to watch an hour of corona tv once every day there um, it it, it might be that I'm going to ring a mate who I haven't talked to for a year and have a virtual beer with it like it'll be different for every person but focusing on that space can because we think as as more time you spend in that circle of control it actually grows and then you can influence others and then and then the only circle that doesn't grow and actually gets smaller is that one of concern I think there's a focus for all of us on making sure our mates are okay what are some of the things and you were talking about working with individuals what are your recommendations to individuals whether they're elite athletes or someone who's just a bit of a weekend warrior what are the sort of things that they can do to make sure they're looking after themselves as much as they're looking after their friends yeah um look it's a really good question i I had it with a group this morning and and one of the leaders was saying i keep telling my team you know go out for a walk and i said i said to the lady with all due respect, that's great because it works for you. What we need to do is find out what works for them. Now, if if that person's in their best headspace when they can go and have 18 holes of golf, then our job is to challenge them to find space to do that. If it's um, if it is meditating, if it is um, walking their dog, it, it, the first question is, you know, what works for you? When are you at your best? When are you at your freest in your mind? Um, what what helps you get through this? Now, often in jest, one of the answers will be. 20 beers now and and whilst if it's a beer with a mate that's good we, we've also got to be realistic that for some listeners out there one of the challenges will be that the answer will be that way and that may not necessarily be productive but ideally when we ask that question we get a reasonably positive response um it's finding out what works for them some people would never even thought of it before it's actually saying oh you know I encourage you as a mate, as a friend, as a leader, whatever role you have with that person, or for yourself, sorry, if, if you're self-reflecting, what is it that, that gives me joy, satisfaction and peace, I guess? Yeah. Um, and then it's finding the time. And, and if anything right now, what this has allowed us all to do is strip, strip our life back and actually has given us real time. 
So find that time to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Hills, what about your own business? I mean, you have always been very much a people person into relationships, whether it's groups, it's a lot of your work is face-to-face. How has business changed for you? Yeah, and and what I'm also wouldn't ever be described as is the most tech-savvy person. <laughs> so when we – and we would always, you know, often groups would say, oh, we struggle to get everyone together, and we'd say, no, no, you know, our stuff needs to be face-to-face. We've always been pretty strong in that, and, of course, we still believe that. But through these times um, and some of the – and some of the IT stuff that come up, I think if this was five or 10 years ago, we would have really struggled, but we've been using um, Zoom, one of the products, um, sometimes Microsoft Teams, but the the IT developments and advancements in something like Zoom means that it, it's actually been staggering how how easy it's been, how well it's been um, received, and the feedback we've had from groups is, well, that was, you know, we, we may not bring our group together every time. If you do, we've got some national teams that, Normally, one of the struggles I have in running sessions with us is, is expense of getting the whole team together, you know, every month or whenever we want to do it. And some are finding actually we can do it this way because of the the brilliance of technology. Again, we would always say that it would never it would never take the place of of the face to face interaction. But I've got to say, there's less clunkiness involved. Um, where the, the the technology allows us to break groups into smaller groups and have chats within the within the chat i did i've done full day sessions on online that have been feeling almost as seamless and the feedback's been just as it would a normal session so that bit hasn't limited us like perhaps we thought it would can i I have to tell you one quick story heels and you'll appreciate this my wife sarah is working uh, out of our spare bedroom at the moment which also sort of doubles as my uh, dressing room if you like because sarah uses so much of the main uh, <laughs> main built-in robe that uh, i have the spare one in the spare room and on more than one occasion she's been in a uh, in a zoom meeting and i've popped my head around the corner wearing very little planning on uh, getting dressed for the day and have had no ability to just have to stand in the corridor half naked waiting for the um waiting for sarah's zoom meeting to finish yeah that wouldn't that client wouldn't would have wouldn't have got got <laughs> A little bit more than they bargained for there, I would have thought. Uh, You're absolutely right. Care groups, I just want to wrap up on this, Hills, because I think it's a great point and it's something practical that uh, all of the clubs that are involved with the Hooked on Sport podcast can perhaps relate to. How do you go about creating those care groups? Is it uh, How do you you cross-section maybe all of your membership when you're working on the theory? Maybe you've got three or four teams from quite talented players to the absolute guy who is only there just because he likes having a beer afterwards. How do you get those groups to interact? Correct. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, and there won't be a one size fits all answer. What what I what I number one, you got to ask yourself what the purpose. If the purpose is to continue to keep a connection within this group and to make sure everyone feels like they are still part of something, then if I'm talking about a squad like a South Adelaide Footy Club, you know, there's 50 players. Let's say then it is let let's let's get our let's start with our six leaders right there in six different groups, and then let's get a and and get you know randomly then place people in so that you've got from old to young, inexperienced to experienced and mixed up. If you've got three or four teams and, and the C grade don't really interact with the A's and that's not really an issue, then then just do it do it team by team. You you you'll have to know in your space which works best for you. But just remember what the purpose of it is. The purpose is for people to still feel connected, to feel like um X or Y football club, netball club is still the place for me that I have because remember we all know what this what a sporting club does for us. It doesn't just allow us to run around the park; it allows us to feel connected, to feel part of something. That part we can still we can still hold on to. So, um, number of people in it, none of that really matters. Again, five to eight, so that you can be 
we can actually have meaningful conversations, relationships with them. If you're serious about it, they'll be able to get their own WhatsApp group. Um, and, of course, it doesn't stop those five or eight from connecting with others in that. It just makes sure there's a more concentrated um more concentrated effort in the relationship bit because if we said across 60 plus 60 people oh let's all make sure we check in and look after well what we'll tend to do is go to the two or three best mates we've got um or we'll we'll, we'll have a pretty scattered approach and and 15 of us might be making a real effort with this one young kid who we who we're worried about and then that young kid might feel a bit overawed by the, the extra attention they're getting so we just think it's a more even balanced way to do it um a bit artificial a bit manufactured to start but that's that's what's needed normally, let alone in, in unique circumstances like this. So, yeah, absolutely, I would think it's something that can help us right now. I understand the grey area right now is are we ever going to get back what's happening now? So possibly it's when we start training again, but I'd say more so now is, is when, when perhaps people do feel like they need that connection. Yeah, Daniel, incredible. We really appreciate uh, all of your words of advice there. And I just hope, mate, that before the end of 2020, you and the Central District guys of 2000 do get to have that 20-year premiership reunion, mate. I'm sure we'll work work something out of you. Thanks a lot. Uh, Thanks for joining us on Hooked on Sport. That was Daniel Healy from Leading Teams. Let's take a short break to hear from John Mannion at the Breakthrough Mental Health Research Foundation. Please remember to be mindful of others. Remember, this is a short-term situation and we will get through it. If we work together and are patient with ourselves, we can be patient with others. Maintaining your caring relationship. And remember that a simple act of kindness can go an incredibly long way. It can make us feel good about ourselves and make others feel good about themselves. And now back to the show. You just listen to Hill's talk and you get a sense of what made the Bulldogs so good over the last 20 years. They were well coached, well managed and had great footballers, but they also had a capacity to harness that through a superior culture. It's vital. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Daniel as much as I did. Now to talk golf. And while perhaps every sport in the country has ground to a halt, some parts of Australia are still allowing golfers to walk the fairways. There are significant restrictions, groups no bigger than two, no competitions, no flags removed, no bunkers raked, no divots filled. It's a groundsman's nightmare, but the killer for clubs, while the course is open, the clubhouses are shut. The revenue from hospitality and functions is the lifeblood of many golf clubs, and as a result, there is red stains on many balance sheets. Matt Chesterman, is Golf Australia's Clubs and Facilities Support Senior Manager. He joins me right after this. Hi, I'm Bruce McAvaney, and you're listening to Hooked on Sport. Matt Chesterman, welcome to Hooked on Sport. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Matt, you're a golfer. I'm a golfer. The one thing I am missing is the post-round coffee or beer. Is that the one thing you're missing as well? Yeah, absolutely, mate. I'm not missing hitting it um, onto every other fairway except the one <laughs> I should be. But uh, yeah, mate, mate, absolutely missing uh, missing all those things that we enjoy about golf. That's not playing golf. All the catching up with the with mates and enjoying all the things that go around. And it's been a significant change for all of the golfers in the country. There's no doubt about that. It's been a finely run thing just to keep courses open. I would imagine. In fact, some courses around Australia are closed as we speak, mate. Yeah, mate. Yeah, it's uh, every every state's operating with some pretty significant restrictions. Uh, Victoria and NT 
are the standouts at the moment with uh, with no golf being played in either state. Um, and, yeah, there's a there's a pretty high level of frustration from those who like to get out on the greens in those two states, mate, that's for sure. Uh, you've been involved in clubland. I, I mean, how difficult has it been as well from a Golf Australia perspective, knowing that you've got one side of the argument that says golf shouldn't be played and that's happened in some parts of the country and then you've got a number of golfers who think, well, golf is virtually the perfect sport when you're trying to social distance. How have you married those two up? Mate, it's, it's, it's a massive challenge. I mean, at the end of the day, there's the, 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 our, our leaders are telling us that we should be staying at home, full stop, um, but then there's an argument to say that we can literally drive from our homes to the golf course, not see anyone else, nor see anyone else while we're participating in our favourite activity. So it has been really tough to, to try to marry that up. But clubs, uh, and to clubs' credit, They've been really agile in this space and have made some changes pretty quickly. Golf's known to be a bit of a slow-moving beast, um, but when it was apparent that there was going to be issues with the way we played the game, like holding pins, shaking hands, all those little things, um, clubs were pretty quick to jump on it and go, "Okay, let's make some adjustments to how we play the game, so we can can we can keep playing as long as possible and make sure our members are safe and healthy." How do clubs run under normal circumstances and, and what are the differences now? I mean, most people who aren't involved in a club would see, well, people are members, they pay their money at the start of that financial period of time and play their golf and, and that's how the clubs earn their money and so there really shouldn't be much difference. But I can't imagine that's what it's like in reality, mate. Well, I think, Ben, everyone wants to make sure they're getting value for their dollar these days, and that's that's the really tricky part here. Um, clubs, the things that we've been trying to do to add value in clubs for years, which is make sure people are engaging socially with uh, other members of the club, um, we can't do all of a sudden. So it's really tough to, to deliver that sort of value add that clubs have been getting really good at doing. Um, the other big challenge is with when there has been courses that have closed and competitions cancelled and all those things around the country is how how do we encourage members to stay members of their clubs? Because if they don't, given that subscription model, if they don't stay members of their clubs through this really challenging time, um, the reality is there will be less golf courses to come back to at the end of it. Um, it's not like a, it's not like a gym or a or a commercial venue where we pay rent. We don't. We quite often don't pay rent on our land. Um, but our land still requires maintaining through this period of where there's a bit, uh, a bit more reduced use. So it's, it's proving pretty challenging for clubs out there. There's no doubt about that. What are some of the things that clubs can do in this interim period? And hopefully by the end of 2020, we're all back playing our normal golf in fours and having a couple of drinks afterwards like we've always done. But what can clubs specifically do in the interim to help engage its members? So, man, I think I think first up is clubs need to really use those strong communication lines they've got. They should be getting on their websites, make sure they're sending out their emails to members. Even I heard a club the other day that goes through its list of members because they've got the electronic timesheets. They can see if their members are still playing or not. And if they're not playing, their committee's then picking up the phone and ringing those members who aren't there just to check in on them and make sure they're okay. So they still stay socially engaged with the club to an extent. Um, that's, uh, that's a pretty strong initiative and by no means a small task. Um, if you've got, say, five or 600 members who haven't made it to your club in the last few weeks picking up the phone and ringing every one of them is a, is a big undertaking. So they're the sorts of things the clubs are doing in the interim um, to, to, to keep those people engaged. 
And what about for members individually? I mean, if you feel like your club is closed and that's one of your major ways of perhaps relating to other people, your peers, your friends, that you get the opportunity to catch up with them every week. What are some of the things that you would encourage people to do while we're in this period, whether it's, you know, there is no social interaction, even though you are playing golf or you're perhaps not even playing golf at all? I mean, I think if you've got to try and you've got to deliberately go and pick up the phone and speak to your mates and try and chew the fat once a week like you do when you're on the golf course. Um, Maybe it's a matter of playing in your two ball, as a lot of clubs are doing at the moment, and then going home and jumping on a Zoom chat so you can all tell your war stories like we did while we are sitting around the clubhouse (laughs) having a beer. You might just have to do that. You might just have to do that at home uh, after you've had your round of golf instead. Have you seen an uptake in what clubs have been uh, putting out to their members? I mean, I think that's quite significant. I've certainly noticed, uh, even though our clubs are closed at the moment, I've seen a far greater uh, output from clubs. Is that something that you've noticed and encouraged? Yeah, look, I think clubs, they've had to be really deliberate about their communications to their members. Um, We could almost take it for granted that people would be logging onto websites and making bookings and sort of you're around the club and you hear what's going on through through word of mouth when you're at the club and you talk to the pro once a week because it's when you're there to check in. We haven't been able to do that as much as what we used to do in the past. So clubs have had to be really deliberate on that communication with with their membership. Uh, about the middle of April, uh, on the Tuesday the 14th, I think it was, Matt, there was a government announcement of uh, some stimulus packages for uh, not-for-profits. What does that mean for golf clubs in particular, but sports clubs in general, I guess? Yeah, mate, these funds that are coming from uh, state government and federal government are critical to the survival of our sporting organisations. Um, most of the relief to this to this point has been focused on uh, those clubs that have employees, because it's all about been keeping people in jobs. Um, we're working hard with both the state government here in South Australia and and around and governments around the country, so to ensure that um, that the right measures are implemented for those clubs without staff as well. Um, we we have a, we have a lot of clubs in the state that are run purely on volunteers, and they a lot of them haven't have chosen not to open. So a lot of those six month sand clubs have chosen not to open through this time. Um, so they're going to be in a position where their bar takes are down, their competition fees are down, um, and that, that they rely on those sources of income to get through the the twelve month period. So they're going to find it really difficult towards the end of this year, having having missed out on all those incomes. So we'll be really looking for some government support to keep those clubs up and running and to maintain essential items like insurances um, and maintain their courses that they've got to do. It's um it's pretty tough for those clubs out out in regional areas, no and, doubt. And how can Golf Australia support that? Mate, so we. Uh, Initially, we've got what we're calling an immediate club assistance package. Um, so basically, we're asking clubs, if you are experiencing any sort of financial difficulty, get in touch with us. We'll then undertake an immediate business review and take a snapshot of your financial position and help make, help and in, and help you make some changes to your club so you can get through this time. With that, we'll then help you with, with um, human resource programs, industrial relations support, um, some legal assistance. Um, there's a range of services that we offer that we can help get uh, those, some of those clubs through this period. I tell you what, Matt, I hope we can get through this period and I hope we can come out the other side and all be playing some uh, good fun golf and uh, enjoying each other's company and uh, all of the things that are associated with our sport. Matt Chesterman from Golf Australia, thank you for joining us on Hooked on Sport.
Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Look forward to getting out and teeing it up once again, mate. Cheers. You're listening to the Hooked on Sport podcast, your virtual sports club. Well, we've tapped in the last putt on the closing hole for Episode 7. Thank you to our two guests, Daniel Healy and Matt Chesterman. Don't forget to let us know who you'd like to hear from or share with us a little bit about your club. We're at Hooked on Sport on Facebook. Get in contact, say hi, and share with us what your club is up to so we can share it with everyone. Thank you to Ben Watson, who created and performed the musical intro to Hooked on Sport, and to the show's producer, Wallace Long. We'll see you soon at Hooked on Sport.